Listener Production. Hey, Katrina Blowers here with you. In this episode's briefing, the grim reality in aged care right now. They should have allowed a person, me, to go in and be with him every day. Mm. Keeping him in a room with the door shut on his own, I think was criminal. So there's a number of concerning things happening in aged care. Firstly, the deaths. There's been more COVID deaths in aged care in the last month than the whole of last year by a long shot. Another problem, the cognitive decline when elderly people don't get any social contact. And another one, an aged care minister who didn't have time to address a parliamentary committee about Omicron in aged care, but did have time for three days at the cricket. Yeah, whatever way you look at that, not a good look. There is so much to unpack in a fantastic episode of today's briefing. But first, here are today's headlines. It is Wednesday, the 2nd of February. A mea culpa from Scott Morrison. I haven't got everything right and I'll take my fair share of the criticism and the blame. So the Prime Minister has admitted to mistakes in handling the pandemic, but he did stop short of apologising. As we went into the summer, I think we were too optimistic perhaps and we could have communicated more clearly about the risks and challenges that we still faced. So this was in yesterday's National Press Club address and he listed a series of lessons learned. Now, that was one of the main ones, that they were too optimistic, Katrina, about Mm. what we're heading into um, just before summer. Obviously, he couched it in very positive terms there. I think his detractors might have said that they were reckless or ignored the modelling. Yeah, so this comes just a few days after some pretty devastating figures in the news poll. Uh, Look, you know, it plays into that narrative, I guess, that one in the last election, which is that relatable every man who people go, oh, he's just doing his best best, you know? (laughs) What would we do if we were in his job? Yeah, well, it is a difficult situation and it's rare that you get contrition from Scott Morrison, but we got a little bit yesterday. He then quickly pivoted into what looks like an election pitch, which was much more around economic recovery and jobs, saying that they're hoping to bring the unemployment rate below 4%. Meanwhile, the PM has had to deal with leaked text messages calling him a horrible person and a psycho. Yeah, these text messages were reportedly sent between the New South Wales former Premier Gladys Berejiklian and a current senior Liberal minister. The texts say Berejiklian doesn't trust Morrison, while the minister described the PM as a fraud and a complete psycho. Morrison had this to say when he was asked about the texts. I don't know who you're referring to or the basis of what you've put to me, but I obviously don't agree with it and I don't think that's my record. Now, Gladys Berejiklian put out a statement very quickly after that saying she doesn't remember the exchange and strongly (laughs) support... Gladys. Yeah, just doesn't remember. Like, your phone remembers. All you have to do is search psycho. (laughs) I'm not sure if there there were any emojis with that. (laughs) But she she now says she very much strongly supports the Prime Minister. So, uh, yeah, I think the text messages tell a very different story, though. Imagine if you're in Scott Morrison's position, you, you give a speech at the press club, someone stands up and says, I've seen these private text messages where people are deriding you. Mm. I mean, these are private conversations between people who work in very high-pressure, frustrating jobs. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if people will really care about this in the general public. Lots of people trash talk each other. Absolutely. And it's just a snapshot from a moment in time, but it does speak to a level of professionalism that perhaps people at that uh, point in public office shouldn't be engaging in. 
A new analysis from the UK says Omicron could be plaguing us well into autumn because of a sub-variant, um, which the UK Health Security Agency says is 13.4% more transmissible. We don't know if uh, this subvariant has any significantly different characteristics, though, uh, in causing severity of disease compared to the original Omicron variant. That's the Deputy Chief Medical Officer Michael Kidd there. I know everyone's probably taking a deep breath hearing this news because we just want it to be over. But I guess there's some good news. Um, it might not cause the havoc that, or certainly not that Delta has caused or this particular Omicron variant. Denmark, we just have to look to them as an example. It's become one of the first EU nations to scrap most pandemic restrictions. Despite seeing tens of thousands of daily cases, they no longer consider the COVID-19 outbreak as socially critical disease. Only a few dozen are in ICU, even though that new variant has become the dominant one already in Denmark, as well as India, and it's on the way to becoming so in South Africa too. And a pregnant New Zealand journalist who made headlines after becoming stranded in Afghanistan will now be able to return home. Important point here is there is a place in MIQ for Ms Bellis and I urge her to take it up. That's New Zealand's Deputy Prime Minister Grant Robertson there. Charlotte Bellis realised she couldn't live in Qatar because she isn't married and she couldn't live in Belgium where her partner is from because she isn't a permanent resident. When she couldn't get a spot in New Zealand's strict quarantine system, she said the only other place she and her partner could live was Afghanistan. Yeah, and so she's going to come home, but she's considering legal action against the New Zealand government. And seven-time Super Bowl champion Tom Brady has announced he will retire from the NFL after a 22-year career. Yeah, so the Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback, who is 44 years old, uh, made the announcement in an Instagram post. Uh, He said he's not going to make that competitive commitment anymore. Now, while he hasn't officially spoken yet, he did say this on a podcast a week ago. The team doesn't deserve anything less than my best. And if I feel like I'm not committed to that or I can't play the championship level, then you got to give someone else a chance to play. There was a leaked tweet over the weekend that kind of hinted at this and then it was very quickly taken down by his team. It kind of listed all of his big moments in sport and then it said, thanks so much for the memories. And then they quickly took it down. Uh, Brady is, of course, widely considered to be the greatest quarterback in NFL history. He's won seven Lombardi trophies, which is the most championships won by a single player, along with five Super Bowl MVPs. And Tom, I think he deserves kudos for just... Just continuing to play at that level at the age of 44. Unbelievable, yes. It's just incredible, you know. Redefines what's possible in my life. Um, although... <laughs> <laughs> Comparing yourself to Tom Brady now. Or Kelly Slater, <laughs> pushing deep into Kelly his Slater. 40s. Yeah, yeah, well, anything's possible. Back on the bike, Tom. Thank you. All right, a change in tone coming up. We're talking about the crisis in aged care. So the biggest fear during COVID is it ripping through our aged care homes. And this year is set to be the worst for aged care for the entire pandemic. Yeah, as we mentioned at the top of the episode, in January alone, over 400 aged care residents have died, which is more than the whole of last year when we lost 282. So as those deaths continue into February, the total number could be enormous. This week, the Health Minister Greg Hunt had this to say about the crisis. Approximately 60% of those that have passed 
uh, were in palliative care. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what our expert thinks about that. We're also going to ask them about the aged care minister, Richard Colbeck, who's under fire for going to the cricket for three days in January. And one of those days, he'd been asked to address a Senate Select Committee that was looking into this crisis. They asked for less than three hours of his time of a video conference, and the minister's office said it would be diverting time and resources to prepare and give that evidence uh, away from actually managing the crisis itself. But then he had time for the cricket. I don't think there was a crisis at the cricket. There was a crisis in aged care that week. He went to the cricket. There was 7,000 infections. 40% of the aged care facilities around the country were in lockdown. That's the chair of the Senate Committee, Labor's Katie Gallagher. Uh, The other thing we want to talk about is cognitive decline for aged care residents who've been isolated from loved ones during numerous lockdowns. We're going to speak to a woman we'll call Julie. Her husband is in his 70s and suffers from Parkinson's. He got COVID and was isolated for 17 days. Julie, how did his cognitive health decline over that time? He doesn't know what day it is. He doesn't remember anything that you say to him five minutes before. He is obsessed with things that happened 20 years ago. At the moment, he's quite obsessed with the car he had 20 years ago and he's quite obsessed about is there petrol in it and where is it and is it out of the rain and he just doesn't have any understanding of of anything really anymore. He knows who I am and he'll talk to me but he won't let me touch him anymore. So he lives in a room that's like a prison cell with nothing in it because I can't give him anything because he takes them away and hides them somewhere within the building. So he lives like um, a monk. The room looks like a monk's cell because there's nothing in it because it's all gone. I don't know where it is. Julie, what do you think about that balancing act, I guess, of people in the aged care facilities having to balance the risk of getting and spreading COVID among residents with that cognitive health impact? In a perfect world, um, he and the, I believe, several other residents um, had COVID, should have been put in an area where they could move around freely but be segregated from the rest of the residents. Mm. They should have allowed a person, me, to go in and be with him every day, Mm. keeping him in a room with the door shut on his own, I think was criminal. If I'm rat tested, I'm triple vaxxed, if I'm wearing full PPE, I did not understand why I could not go and sit in his room with him. If the staff and the contractors go home, they go to Woolies, they go to Coles, they go out into the community and then they come back in to my husband the next day, then why can't I do the same thing? So that was Julie and such an emotional and and Mm. sad story there about her husband and how quickly he went downhill. Let's unpack um, some of those issues with Professor Lee Fei Lau. She's a specialist in ageing and health at the University of Sydney. Lee Fei, how quickly can isolation bring on cognitive decline in aged care residents? We know that about 70% of people in nursing homes have cognitive impairment. And we know that people with cognitive impairment really need physical exercise, they need cognitive exercise, they need mental stimulation. And if you leave them alone to their own devices, because they're isolated in a room, they will others just sit in the chair all day or they'll get really distressed and upset 
and, you know, yell and scream and want to get out. This means that they decline terribly. The behavior is very difficult for staff to deal with, and they often get put on psychotropic medications to kind of control their behavior. We just heard from Julie, whose husband is in aged care. He got COVID, and during that 17 days that he was isolated, Julie says his cognitive health just declined incredibly. How quickly can this happen, this decline? I think that particularly for older people with dementia whose brains are already vulnerable and need stimulation to keep going. We're hearing stories of this decline happening, you know, super rapidly. Like in a week, they might be depressed. In two weeks, they're really losing muscle mass in their legs because they're not moving. And cognitively, they're declining as well because they're really not getting, I don't know, both stimulation, but also blood flow to the brain, you know, remembering things, exercising their brains. I'm so sad for her. And unfortunately, we're hearing many of these stories. And while the data is not supporting, you know, that everyone's declining this fast, certainly showing that with lockdowns, people are getting worse. Yeah, well, Julie said he was suicidal within 17 days, which is just such a a sad reality for for her and her husband. She also uh, made the argument that she should have been allowed in to see him. She said, you know, she's triple vac. She'd be happy to get tested, go in in full PPE. And that if the staff were allowed to do that, why couldn't she be there to be able to speak to him? What, what do you make of that argument? And I guess that overall balancing act of protecting their, their physical health versus their cognitive health. I totally agree with Julie. And we've been writing about this and advocating for this. So the industry code for visiting in nursing homes in Australia says that even if there is an outbreak, even if the person has COVID, they should be allowed an essential visitor. So someone who's, you know, really important to that person's well-being. And those visitors should be trained and supported to enter and care for the person, as Julie would have her dad, with the same rules. So, you know, test appropriately with RAT, full PPE, appropriate training. And she's not an increased risk to anyone else in the facility. He's already got COVID. You know, so as long as she's prepared to take that risk herself and we can train her and support her, it would have been so much better for him to have someone familiar there who's supporting him the whole time. I think this is a breach of the human rights of residents, really. They have a right to see people who know them and and love them and can give them that care and love, which a really stressed staff member and full PPE can't. I'm guessing too that even a family member in PPE could look really scary to someone with dementia. It's such a tricky one to manage, isn't it? The PPE is terrifying. And if you've been in the war, I think of people who've been in the Holocaust, like this is bringing all kinds of weird PTSD flashbacks. We know that being restricted for a lot of people brings back past trauma already. And then not being able to understand is scary. I mean, at least a family member, the voice will be familiar. Maybe the, the way they move will be familiar. And if they can see the person's face, you know, they might realize that it's a family member. But some people are telling us that their family member finds it hard to recognize them in PPE, but it's still better than them not going to visit. The death rate's pretty scary this year, um, over 400 deaths in the first month of the year, which is way more than last year, you know, in total. And so we're heading into February um, and that's, you know, all going in the wrong direction. But Greg Hunt, the health minister, made the point this week that 60% of the deaths are palliative care patients. It's obviously a sensitive thing to say, but is that an, an important thing to keep in mind? 
people in residential aged care are old and frail and often have comorbidities, but it doesn't mean that because they're in palliative care that they should have died because of COVID or they should have died without their family there, which is terrible. We don't have the vaccination numbers at the moment. We don't know if they would have died if they got their booster um, shot. I think that we shouldn't diminish the deaths just with the suggestion that they were already dying. So because dying in a nursing home with COVID without your family around you is quite a different death to dying and having, you know, kind of a full rich death as good as you can make it, I guess, with people there. We know that there's 1,261 active outbreaks as of last week. That's 45% of all nursing homes have an outbreak at the moment. It's really very worrying. If you think that 47% of all nursing homes have some kind of lockdown where the residents can't see their families at all, that's a lot of old people being locked into rooms by themselves. Yeah. So we've also touched on the uh, aged care minister's decision to attend the cricket on the same day that he declined to appear at a Senate committee looking into this problem. Uh, What do you make of that? So if I was responsible for 3,000 nursing homes and all those residents, I'd be making sure that they had rat tests, they're not all getting enough rat tests, that the PPE is arriving quickly, we know it's slow to arrive, and that there's surge staffing. The staff who are furloughed, the staff who are sick, they can't look after residents. And it's really hard, I guess, to support residents to have a good quality of life in isolation if you don't have all these resources. So in terms of priorities, I mean, cricket's great, but I feel like the lives of older people are more important. Yeah, so I guess you've hinted there at some of the things we could have done better. Yeah, I feel like some facilities learned from the first two waves and some didn't, and the government was prepared but not prepared for outbreaks at the scale. So we know that facilities are just not getting the equipment, the resources, the support that they need to manage outbreaks and support the wellbeing of residents. Okay, and how do you see the next few months playing out? If we've had 400 deaths in January, what what do you see happening in February and March, even as the infection numbers start to plateau or even trend downwards? We all hope that the death rate isn't going to stay this high. But realistically, we're going to see a lot more nursing home resident deaths before this wave finishes. The worry is that staff are going to leave in droves. It's been really stressful. They get paid a tiny amount of money. It's been so hard for them. And I feel like once they kind of, you know, have done their job and, you know, fulfill the commitment, I guess, through the outbreak, they will leave. And we'll see the aged care sector kind of decimated of good people. And it's going to be really hard, I think, to run an aged care facility after this, which is terrible for residents, terrible for families. So I think that we'll really need to regroup and think about what aged care looks like as per the Royal Commission after this wave. And one of those um, measures that the Prime Minister's announced is cash payments, one of which is happening the same month that he's tipped to go to the polls. Do you think this will shape up as a big election issue? I hope so. I hope that families are angry. We know that they're angry and upset about how their loved ones have been treated and that aged care really gets the funding. It's not just funding, though. It's the funding and commitment to change that it deserves. 
That was Professor Lee Fei Lau, who made some really strong points there, Tom. Gosh, what a complex issue, but I think we can do so much better here. Yeah, well, she made that really strong point about allowing visitors and that not doing that is a breach of human rights. And she also had a, a solid list of what the minister should have been working on instead of watching the cricket. Although I will say he is the sports minister as well. Yeah, for sure. I think for so long, because aged care has been out of sight, out of mind, uh, it's been one of those things that has been easily swept under the carpet. But now that we have an ageing population, we've got baby boomers who make up, you know, the bulk of, of voters here in Australia and their parents are right in the thick of it in aged care right now. I think this is going to be a bigger issue than ever before. Yeah, and I think Scott Morrison has identified that to some extent by promising those $400 cash payments for people working in the sector. Tomorrow on The Briefing, when will IVF and other elective surgeries return to normal? Listener.